The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. The Pre-Med Year, session number 372. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to the pre-med years. I am so excited that you are here today witnessing the launch of something new and something exciting, something that I have been thinking about for a very, very, very long time. Now, if you have been following the pre-med years for a while or MedEd Media or any of the podcasts that I do or follow me on Facebook and the Hangouts, which is at premedhangout.com, you'll know that I have lots of crazy ideas. And this idea was one that came to me at some point a while ago, and I, I didn't have the bandwidth to do it, right? My, I'm growing my team. We're up to about 16 people now, helping me really build out and create more content for you. More free stuff, more cheap stuff like the books that I have, or inexpensive, not cheap, inexpensive stuff like the books that I have. And I continue to think about how I can add more value to you, more resources for you. And this project was one of them, but I didn't have the bandwidth. I didn't have the knowledge to do it. This project is going to be, and we don't have the name finalized yet. It might be the final name, but it's Spanish for pre-meds. And obviously it'll work for all pre-health students, all medical students, et cetera. But this is a project that I wanted to do because I understand that having an understanding of Spanish in this country as a healthcare provider, whether you're a pre-med, a medical student, physician, dentist, PA, and P, whatever you are, understanding Spanish is important and is becoming more and more important every day in this country because we have obviously a lot of Spanish-speaking people in this country. And we as healthcare providers, it is our responsibility to make sure that our patients get the best possible care. And if that means we should understand some of their cultural differences, if that means we should provide them a safe place to speak their language and understand their language and communicate in their language, then that is what we need to do as healthcare providers. And this podcast is going to be a dive into Spanish for pre-med students. And obviously, I'm not going to likely teach you Spanish from from A to Z, and you're not going to be a, a fluent Spanish speaker after this new podcast launches. But my goal with this new podcast is for you to really understand a lot of the reasons behind why you should be learning some basic Spanish and really help you understand some basic Spanish when it comes to speaking with patients. Now, to help me with that, I have Dr. Patrick Ridge who is a professor at Virginia Tech. And I'm going to read his bio here so you understand who Patrick is. 
and really understand what he is going to help bring to this project. He's an assistant professor of Spanish in the Department of Modern and Classical Languages and Literatures. Now, he's got a really cool job where he, his, his primary focus is, but you'll hear how he fits into the medical Spanish side as well. His current research focuses primarily on the literary and cultural representations of soccer in Latin America. He also specializes in film and media studies. So this guy literally watches soccer for a living as, as his research, which is pretty awesome, or, or football in the, the more appropriate name. He has published on the documentaries of World Cup 1978 in Argentina, homoaffectivity in the Mexican Netflix series Club de Cuervos, masculinity in Brazilian soccer films, and violence in contemporary Spanish cinema. He has recently taught courses on Latin American documentary, soccer, and Mexican and Central American literature and culture. In, and this is where the... the Spanish for pre-meds comes in. He is, or as a certified medical interpreter, he also teaches Spanish for the medical professions. He's earned his PhD in Spanish from Arizona State University and a master's of art from the University of Louisville. So Dr. Patrick Ridge is joining me on this podcast. And, and after this podcast that you're about to hear, which was kind of a kickoff podcast episode for this Spanish for pre-meds, I immediately asked Patrick to join me as a partner for this project because, well, number one, he teaches this at Virginia Tech. And number two, he has the background, the understanding, the knowledge. He's been a medical interpreter for a long time. He's a certified medical interpreter. And he's going to really help me solidify what this project is and why it's important for you and really help you understand how to communicate with patients, maybe not necessarily fluently, but at least really understanding a lot of it. So go to SpanishForPremeds.com. We'll have that link set up and it'll take you to an email list where you can sign up to be notified when this podcast actually launches. Again, SpanishForPremeds.com. Now, in this specific episode that you're about to hear, this was an episode that I did with Patrick or Dr. Ridge uh, that was going to be one of the first couple launch episodes of the Spanish for Premeds podcast, where we talk about the importance of understanding Spanish and understanding culture when it comes to these patients that are coming from different parts of the world. And so you're about to hear that. Again, go to SpanishForPremeds.com, sign up to be notified when this podcast actually launches, which will likely be end of January, beginning of February is what we are shooting for. Um, but with timelines, they usually get, get, get kicked back. And so somewhere around February, uh, will be when this is coming out again, SpanishForPremeds.com. Let's go and jump in. Say hello to Patrick for the Spanish for Premeds podcast. Patrick, welcome to the Spanish for Premeds podcast. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. You are the first guest and probably one of the only guests for this podcast specifically, at least in as, as my brain is kind of creating it as we go, uh, of this podcast that started a while ago, at least in my head, to really help students understand 
number one, how to speak Spanish with patients, and number two, kind of the importance around speaking Spanish or whatever that native tongue is for that patient. And when I brought on a new student to help me with this project, she immediately thought of you and said, you need to speak with Patrick. He would be an amazing guest for this podcast. So thank you for taking the time for joining me today. And I want to start off with kind of who you are and and how you ended up on this podcast with me. Well, I, I'm, thanks for having me. I, I'm really humbled that, uh, you know, the senior you're talking about, Caroline, she, she thought of me. Um, but, you know, actually, this is, this is kind of my secondary specialty at Virginia Tech. I'm a professor, assistant professor of Spanish. And I actually specialize, my research specializes in uh, sport or Latin American soccer in, uh, as a cultural practice, right? But secondary to that is my interest in medical interpretation. And uh, I teach a course uh, called Spanish for the Medical Professions. You know, when I was a hired at Virginia Tech, you know, this was a, a, you know, they were interested in somebody that could teach this course. And I said, well, that's definitely something I can do since I have a background in uh, medical interpreting. You know, I, I don't have my full, you know, the national cert- certification, but I have a, a state certification in Kentucky, which is the Bridging the Gap certification. I've worked at several uh, different uh, free clinics. And then I was, con- you know, after w- one of them being the Kentucky Racing Health Services Center at Churchill Downs in Louisville, mm-hmm. Kentucky, that's where I'm from. Um, and then also, you know, when I got my PhD, um, we moved out to Arizona State. And I went to Phoenix and I worked at Cathedral Health Services out there, you know, working every, I think it was the first Saturday of every month. So I, I really, I, I got this interest in, in using my Spanish. You know, I had always had a background in Spanish. Uh, you know, I'd taken it since I, I was a kid, you know, and, and had studied abroad. And, and this was a great way to actually use my Spanish uh, and, and engage with the community. So um, I'm really uh, feel grateful for those experiences, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about those yeah. as we go on. But um, so you're you're not a native Spanish speaker? No, actually, uh, no, I'm not. My, both my parents are uh, you know, from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, not a native Spanish speaker. I, I started when I was a kid. I, I think right about first grade, and then you know, took it in high school. You know, all the way up to high school. Uh, actually, ha- I, I wanted to be a to go into pre-med you know i wanted to be a doctor i wanted to help people in some way uh i took calculus <laughs> and <laughs> biology and uh didn't work out so well uh, but then i studied abroad in panama there's actually a, an exchange program in panama city panama and uh with the university of louisville through the university of louisville and i said man this is actually really what i want to do you know i love doing this i i love uh the opportunity to meet different people and, and people from other cultures and um it, it's something i excelled at in school too so i said you know this is what i want to do and, and i decided to well i'm going to get my my uh, my phd but not you know in something else you know my and that being spanish right yeah very interesting you got your phd from arizona state which is where i initially wanted to go to undergrad to play baseball when when i was growing oh, no. up in la so that cool. those those plans change as as <laughs> things usually do so right, right. so i want to talk to you it, it's obviously i was i was interested in how you got to the the clinical world using your spanish skills and and obviously you said that you you started off kind of pre-med so that makes a lot of sense 
You before we hit record, you mentioned that there's a difference between translating and interpreting. Can you before we dive more into this, can you just break down those two things for students? Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is one thing that I hear and I, I think I was telling you too before. Um, I ask this question to everybody that I speak in front of about interpreting, you know, what's the difference? Is there a difference between interpreting and translation? And most people say uh, they just can't put their, uh, they can't really define the difference. Right. And so interpreting is uh, actually interpreting the spoken word and then translating our translation is uh, the written word. So uh, translating into the target language was in this case, in my case, for the most time, Spanish. Um, so that's the main, the main difference is the difference between spoken and, and written word, uh, that being tra- interpretation and translation. So, okay. I think most people, when you say, oh, there's a difference that I think the first thing that would pop into someone's mind is like, oh, one is kind of paraphrasing and one is more yeah. direct. And, and I, and the other thing I don't understand really why this has become so erroneously used in, in everyday, uh, interaction, but maybe it's popular culture that just. Uh, just overthinks this and then people just learn from popular call, you know, in the TV or the internet and it's used uh, in those settings. Right. So, but I, uh, for the moment, for the, I, I hear translation used and I just cringe all the time, you know, but uh, it, I just, uh, interpretation is, is would be the correct term. <laughs> That's like when uh, a lawyer probably hears someone using either slander or libel wrong, right? Because that's the same thing. One is <laughs> right. one is written defamation, one is verbal defamation, or whatever the the terms are. Exactly, right, um, exactly. and they're different. So very cool. So let's dig in. Right, the goal of this podcast again is to expose students to specifically Spanish. And if this podcast works well, then we'll probably dive into some other languages. But from your experiences, number one, as an interpreter, right? Not not a translator, as as an interpreter, uh, in all of the medical clinics that you've been in, from your experiences, from being a professor of Spanish for medical professionals or medical professions, is that what you said? Um, What is the importance of a medical professional uh, or anyone really? For a patient who speaks Spanish, what is that impact for the patient that the that professional coming in can either speak Spanish fluently with them or at least has some baseline level of communication skills in their native tongue? Well, I, I think this, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, I think if you think any any patient is it feels a little bit vulnerable you know, when going into a, into a practice, there's, there's always the, the question of fear. So add that to not knowing, you know, the, the, the language, you know, or like saying that not knowing English or very having little skill in English or a little knowledge of English. Mm-hmm. So adding that, that kind of amplifies the fear that it's already there for the patient at going into the, uh, you know, going into the clinic. Right. So I think that the knowledge of, you know, if you have an interpreter or access to an interpreter, or at least, you know, uh, making it known to the providers that, okay, listen, I don't speak, uh, I don't speak English as well, you know, and so that, re- that right there, if you have an interpreter, you know, especially an on-site interpreter, you know, a lot of, I, this is from my experience or from, you know, Hearing from other medical professionals, or my wife's actually a nurse, she's going to be a nurse practitioner. So uh, with her experiences as being a nurse, 
you know, how many times she's told me, oh, well, we just use the phone interpreting system. And I say, oh, man, that's such a um, you kind of lose the, the the visual communication necessary for interpretation. I think a lot of a lot of times that's not thought of by medical professionals. Right. And my thing uh, here to getting back to the topic is that uh, I think it eliminates the fear right for the patient. I think if they know that uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, medical terminology or, or being told or being diagnosed with something is is, is pretty complex. So uh, another thing, that can, even English to English, right? The patients yeah. are like, I have no clue what you just said. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think that um, just knowing that you have uh, somebody that speaks the language, uh, your own language, and, and let's say, um, well, you have diabetes, you know, this is, these are the things that you need to do. These are the steps that you need to take. And I think another thing, if you think about something like that, like nutrition or, um, you know, having not just the linguistic competence, uh, or knowledge, of, you know, say the interpreter has a, a knowledge of, or the, the provider for that matter has a, you know, kind of a term, an understanding of the, uh, the linguistic aspects, but also the cultural aspects, you know, having a knowledge or a base knowledge of um, certain cultural practices that are, um, you know, that, that a patient has is, is really beneficial also to the provider. So, you know, if knowing, uh, let's say, a, a common diet, you know, that helps with the diet, not only with the with a diagnosis, but also with with treatment, you know, how can you change um, your diet, you know, what do you usually eat and actually understanding what, what is a torta? What is a uh, tacos al pastor? You know, I, I feel sorry for the providers that don't know what a taco, the tacos al pastor are because they're so delicious. Right. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I think that's uh, something that you, it can really be beneficial, both the, uh, the patient and the provider, right. It, it basically, what it comes down to is it, it preserves, um, the patient provider, uh, relationship, you know, and I think that's, really important here you know if you don't have access to an interpreter um it, it just uh breaks that and there's a communication breakdown and then overall the the quality of care goes down right it's affected yeah which obviously our number one goal as a medical professional is to take care of that patient and if there's any sort of communication breakdown for whatever reason then, then there's going to be a decrease in outcomes, which isn't great. But something exactly. you just mentioned, right? So if we have an interpreter, we're hearing the words. As the medical professional, if I don't speak Spanish uh, or, or whatever language that the, the patient is speaking, if I have an interpreter, I'm hearing the words. But from a cultural perspective, I'm not potentially understanding the the nuances and what they are saying or the nuances of what's going on at home or the nuances in in medical care or the belief in medical care how right. how is a, a student or a medical professional supposed to to build that acumen as well right here we're like you need to learn spanish oh and you need to learn all of the cultural nuances for your patients <laughs> right. as well yeah no i i, I think it's um I mean, it's essential, right? You know, for I mean, just to give an example of a, of a cultural cultural competency or cultural knowledge that you know uh, that you need to know about. If if a patient, for instance, says, "Oh, well, I I feel like I have uh, empacho 
which is empachos like a uh, I guess a, a, an equivalent would be stomach cramps or indigestion or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But the way that these are described, you know, you if um, or or susto, you know, susto is another thing that would be maybe an equivalent of post traumatic stress, right? Yeah. So susto literally means fear or afraid. So if if the interpreter is just you know. Uh, say, well, he, he feels afraid. I feel afraid, you know, interpreting the, 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 interpreting the message of the, the patient, right? What the mm-hmm. patient's saying, you know, I, I'm afraid I have this fear. Um, I think it's really uh, beneficial for the provider to understand, okay, well, fear a lot of times, especially if he's describing it as susto, uh, the knowledge of that and of that, let's say cultural bound syndrome is, um, you know, again, essential in it's it's essential in understanding how uh, pain or sickness is described within that culture or interpreted within that culture. So I, I think the understanding of, of something like that can again it comes back to uh, improving the, the treatment or the diagnosis of what um, you know the patient is is feeling in that in that instance, right? Yeah. Um, I think an, another important thing I always and this is just an experience of um, so the, the knowledge that, that, that can help uh, how you run your practice, right? I think this is essential. Just having a base knowledge of how sp- uh, Hispanic names work. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, a lot of times Spanish speaking patients will have two last names. You know, the first last name will be the paternal last name. And then the second would be the uh, maternal, you know, the, the, the last name of the mother, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the mother's maiden name. And the problem that this is, uh, in, in my own experience, you know, I, I've had to be in charge of, as an interpreter working in a free clinic, not only intake and interview, patient interviews, but also filing. And how many times I've come across, let's say, a say the patient's name is, last name or is Juan Fernandez Hernandez, right? So how many times that has been wrongly filed and how many times that that has created, let's say, multiple files for one patient. Mm. And then that can lead to so much confusion. So just the, the understanding of that, um, I think that's the reason why a lot of, uh, you know, Spanish speakers living in the United States, you know, hyphenate their their last name. So stuff like that, just little things that can help in, enhance or improve your, your practice too, or, or avoid confusion. Um, that's one thing. Another thing uh, my students were reading when I signed, uh, this is in Appalachia, you know, living in Appalachia, it's, I think it was Materia Medica or Encurandarismo um, in Appalachia. So what are some of the uh, home remedies used by uh, Spanish speaking patients? And I think one, uh, it, it, you know, this it gave a you know, huge list of different, uh, was it a survey of what, you know, what was used as, as home remedies by Spanish speaking patients. One of them being, uh, I think in one case, I think there were seven cases of, of people or patients using Coca-Cola uh, as a treatment for high blood pressure. So stuff like that, <laughs> you know, it, you know, not, not all were, were that just, okay, well, that that's probably not the best. Maybe we need to do some more. Uh, I've seen some on. YouTube videos. It cleans toilets really well. So it must clean <laughs> arteries just as well. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> so it's just like things like that. Now, of course, you know, herbal remedies like uh, chamomile tea or so, chamomile tea, something like that. 
uh, are very uh, prevalent within uh, Spanish-speaking households. You know, those teas used for uh, stomach aches or indigestion. You know, so so having a knowledge of what is being used uh, in the household, uh, and then taking that into account when uh, diagnosing, you know, what your patient or, or overviewing, uh, you know, what your patient has, right, or suffering. Yeah. And so just really understanding a lot, right? Just just understanding that there are potentially cultural differences may make the biggest difference in you asking the right questions, right? You 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 may not know go you may not go into the patient encounter with knowing everything, but knowing that there are differences will lead you to asking the right questions. Right. No, exactly. No, I, I and I think that's another thing you have to take into account. The interpreter is not there to interpret what's not said, you know, right? The interpreter is there to inter- it, it, to relay the message uh, that you say. So if you don't say or you don't ask the right question, uh, he or she isn't going to interpret that, right? So you have to know, you know, sometimes the right question is asked. Now, a certified medical interpreter will also know, you know, when to become an advocate and, you know, to stop the, the interpreting uh, process and, and try to explain something that, that might be lost in, in, in communication here, but, but lost in in the interpretation session. You know, I, I think that uh, it's also important to know, you know, know that the interpreter, the certified one at least, is only going to be interpreting what you say. So sometimes you have to fill in the gaps. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was gonna, I was gonna ask that, right? That could be a whole podcast in of itself, is is how to <laughs> right. use a medical interpreter. Um, but like something you mentioned earlier, using using that word like susto, when when you have that, you mentioned it's very similar to PTSD, the way that uh, a Latin person, a Latino would be um, would be using it, and so if if it's just interpreted as, oh, I have this fear, anxiety. Um, the medical professional professional may not understand more PTSD and what's driving it and the kind of this bigger impact on life. Is it that interpreter's job to to take a break and go, wait a minute, I don't think the this medical professional really understands what this word is. Let me let me go beyond what the patient said. Right. No, that's definitely. I mean, the the medical if it's if, if he or she is a certified medical interpreter, you, you'll that's that's a sign of a certified interpreter is that they would stop the session if if they see or notice that maybe something's being lost here, um, in the in you know the, in relaying that message that I, they'll say, well, I'm stopping the session. And they'll they'll stop both parties here. They'll say, you know, they'll explain in English. Let's say if it's a English speaking doctor or provider, right? So I'm going to stop the session. I need to clarify something. And then in Spanish would, uh, you know, explain that to the, the Spanish speaking patient, you know, and then of course, you know, what is, you know, the, the, the medical interpreter would be, okay, well, susto is actually a cultural bound syndrome. Sometimes it's, uh, you might want to take a look at this. You might want to uh, take this into consideration when you're, uh, you know, finalizing your diagnosis. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think another thing that I was going to mention here too, about becoming an advocate and the interpreter being an advocate. I think it's also important for the, uh, the provider to take into account that, um, you know, there's been so many times that I've, I've been working in these clinics, right. And let's say a patient gets diagnosed with, uh, I don't know, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol or, or whatever. Um, and then 
the provider will come in and they might have some translated materials like, oh, okay, here's some some translated materials for, you know, care for diabetes or, or, you know, lifestyle changes for patients with high blood pressure. And we'll just give them to the patient and then immediately say, okay, well, see you later and just walk out uh, because I guess they want to get to the next patient, but (laughs) not taking it into account. The, the possibility that maybe the patient not just has questions or follow-up questions, but maybe the patient doesn't even, might not, might be illiterate, mm-hmm. might not read. So that, that's another thing that that's when the interpreter would, you know, would speak up and, and, and become an advocate, you know, making the, uh, the provider know, you know, that, okay, well, maybe this, this patient doesn't speak, uh, or, excuse me, doesn't, uh, doesn't read, isn't able to read or has a low level, uh, yeah. reading competency. Right. And then the other fact is that just assuming that, okay, oh, it's in Spanish. Well, maybe that, that, uh, that Spanish is actually their second language and their, their first language might be, uh, let's say Maya Quiche or, or an indigenous language. That's another thing that, um, every once in a while will, will happen, you know, especially with older patients that, uh, move here from let's say Mexico or uh, other parts of Central America. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting the uh, the illiteracy, right? You you mention it here, but that's the same with English speaking patients. Where like here yeah. here's this whole pamphlet of information. See you later, goodbye. I'm like uh, yeah. and and we we don't take the time to to really make sure any patient can can read what we're giving them. Right. Exactly. So let's let's take a step back and really look into right for the the purposes of this podcast I, i'm not going to take a student and and teach them how to speak perfect spanish uh, overnight but my hope is that with this podcast we can get a student speaking some basic spanish and really building an interest in spanish and hopefully spending more time outside of this podcast to learn more and they come to Virginia tech and take your class and then they'll be perfect (laughs) Spanish speakers. Um, (laughs) so for, for the student who's really starting at zero, what is the most important thing that he or she needs to understand when it comes to starting to speak Spanish? Well, I think it's just a, a basic understanding of, um, some basic phrases, uh, you know, learn how to say, you know, I'm, like say, like, yo soy Patrick, uh, soy, voy a ser tu, voy a ser su uh, interprete o proveedor, right? So, like, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm Patrick, uh, I'm going to be your provider today. If you know just uh, the basic, uh, some basic Spanish and basic terms, I think it really helps, again, to eliminate that fear that the patient might have. Um, also, you know, using, having an understanding that, you know, this is, if you've taken Spanish before, the understanding between, uh, formal and informal Spanish, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a, a tu and usted, right? So using, uh, the usted as a, um, uh, especially with, you know, older patients, um, I, I think there's a, a certain degree of respect that needs to be, um, shown towards uh, those patients, you know, and, and I, I think, but if you just introduce yourself, um, some basic phrases, it really helps to eliminate the, the fear that the patient might have. Um, I think another thing, you know, avoiding, let's say, raising your voice, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, 
with the thought of like, okay, well, that's going to make them understand <laughs> me more. Better, that's right? the best. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like stuff like that can be, you know, it's, it's pretty offensive. Hola, <laughs> my, me llamo. <laughs> no, it doesn't right, work. Exactly. So, I mean, I think, you know, They're not deaf. They just don't speak English. Right. Right. This is, you know, again, some of the stuff you see on in, in movies or, uh, <laughs> on tv to, to kind of pokes fun at these at these situations but you know having those having an understanding of those interactions um some basic spanish um and you know just i i think there are a lot of good books out there that, you know I, I the book we read is a, is a good manual for um that, that provides some basic phrases some basic terminology uh, but you, i think what you you should do is as a professional or a provider, take note of some of the phrases that you use on every in every patient encounter, right? So what you know, hello, my name is, uh, you know, I'll be what's what why did you come in today? Uh, rate your pain on on a scale of one to ten. Uh, stuff like that, you know, mo- most of the time, I, I think this is mostly it's review for for providers. You know, what what are the main reasons for for patient visits you know most of the time it's for pain right mm-hmm. so I, I think uh, understanding what are the questions uh, what are the things that i ask my patients every day uh, you know every single patient okay well how can i uh, build up a you know a vocabulary a, a bank of um expressions you know that i can use and, and there's several sources on uh, online i know that the government has a lot of uh, there are a lot of federal uh, sources that that are there and resources that are online uh, with actual recordings by by native uh, speakers, you know, so that can uh, that can help with you know practicing some uh, expressions, you know, uh, stuff like that. For for someone who's stepping into this role, number one as a pre med or a medical student, and they're trying to learn all of this medical terminology first in English and now it's like, okay, now you should go learn it in Spanish as well. What is a good way for them potentially to maybe learn side by side, both languages at the same time? Oh, it's a daunting task. <laughs> my <laughs> students, uh, you know, and of course I learned from my students too, you know, I, I, it's in my, uh, my wife, again, I said she's a nurse practitioner. Sometimes even just pronouncing some of these words in, in English can be, can be a tough uh, tough task, right? So, mm-hmm. but I think if you're learning side by side, if you're already learning these terms in, in bodily systems and uh, anatomy, things of this sort in English, you know, sources like uh, Medline Plus, uh, you know, bilingual sources, I think also, um, what's another bilingual source? Uh, Mayo Clinic is another one that, our Mayo Clinic has a, a, a very good, uh, I think there is actually trilingual. So if you wanted to learn, if you're it's trying to speak Portuguese as well. You can actually see um, a lot of the terminology that you know you can research it in English first, and then uh, there's a button for Spanish, and there you go. You have let's say uh, the term. So I think that as far as a written source, it might not necessarily help with uh, pronunciation, but um, as far as you know being exposed to actually uh, the translations, you know, and 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 if you have to work with uh, if you're translating documents for uh, your practice, right. Or, or just need, a, the, to translate. That's something like, um, Oh, I don't know, like PTSD or something like that, mm. that, that you would have that, 
access to that resource. I think that's a, that's a good way. But as far as um, from learning it uh, through speaking, you know, I think that's a tough, you know, I, you know, if you are working with an interpreter, if you have access to an interpreter, it's always, you know, make the most of that situation too. Um, you know, learning through practice, you know, if you, you see, okay, well, what I'm, I'm using these phrases. Okay. Well, you could also record set. I mean, I wouldn't record sessions. There might be some, uh, some HIPAA violations there, but uh, I, I think that you could work with an interpreter and maybe record a conversation with them and, and work. Uh, okay, well, what can I improve? What are some sayings that I could, um, you know, kind of use in, in, in my practice, right? Mm-hmm. What about the student who's listening to this thinking, why, why do I need to go through the effort of learning Spanish? This is, this is America. Our native language, our, our national language is English. This is something that they should know. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a loaded question. I love it though. <laughs> um, you know, I always ask this question. I, I almost I think I start every single class I teach with um, the question: Well, how many span? You know, what is the country with the most Spanish speakers in the world? And you know, a couple couple of people say, well, Mexico. A couple of people say Spain. I get might get one or two that say Argentina. Um, Sometimes the U.S. is not even brought up. You know, there are 60 million, 60 million Spanish speakers in the United States. And that's for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, they, um, and that's after Mexico, you know, we are the second most, well, the second largest Spanish speaking, pop, uh, have the second largest Spanish speaking population in the world. Wow. It's, it's the, uh, it's Mexico, U.S. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Colombia, uh, then Argentina and Spain, right? So I think that's something that people don't really understand. And then other people, you know, of course, if it gets, I mean, this could get all political, right? But I think you have to remember too, uh, asking students, well, what is, do you know the history of, of Spanish in this country? Uh, and that, then you bring up, bring up you know, the, uh, the Mexican-American War, which is interesting too. If you actually go to the Wikipedia page for the Mexican-American War, um, that's in English. It's called that in Spanish. It's actually called the U S intervention in Mexico. <laughs> so our U S invasion, right. In Mexico. So I, I think it's also interesting to understand the, uh, it's all about perspective. Uh, exactly. Right. So, um, so you have millions of Spanish speakers, uh, you know, Mexico before 1848, before this conflict, um, basically that territory included Texas, uh, and then all of the states basically have a, uh, a Hispanic name, right? Mon- Montana, uh, Colorado, where you are, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, California is Nevada. All these, you know, all these Spanish, you know, Hispanic um, names of these states. So you have millions of speakers. You know, after 1848, they continue living there, but this imaginary border just goes south of them, you know, to what, to more or less what it is uh, today, right? Some parts being divided by the Rio Grande and other parts uh, just kind of an imaginary border, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think people fail to uh, take that into consideration sometimes that, you know, there, there is a, a long history of Spanish and, and, and Spanish speaking populations in the United States. 
um, not just this isn't just some a phenomenon phenomenon that's happened in you know the last thirty or forty years with immigration. You have to take in consideration the Baracero program of the forties. You know um, that brought uh, a lot of uh, that relied on a lot of labor, right, from uh, you know south of the border. Um, so the history of that, um, and then of course you know re- more recently the, the immigration. Um, or the migration north of, of a lot of uh, Spanish speakers, right? So I, I think it's not, I think people need to understand that, okay, this is, uh, you know, this is a large part of our population, right? And the, necess- the necessity to actually learn uh, and improve um, treatment, you know, I think part of, you know, be- being a good healthcare provider is to understand your um, who your population is, you know, who, who, are, who are your patients, uh, and then also taking into account, you know, that this is something that's legally required by Title VI of the uh, the Civil Rights Act. You know, um, that's something that, again, uh, some, some providers might not even think about, right, or, or might, might not even be aware of. So um, the access to uh, an interpreter is, is a right uh, if, you know, that, uh, let's say, that hospital or, or clinic receives federal funding. Mm. It's important. And to bring it like full circle back to the beginning of our conversation, the the goal of being a medical professional, whether you're a physician, PA, NP, is to to have the best outcomes for your patients. And yeah. having that breakdown in communication due to a language barrier, either because you don't have access to interpreter or because you don't care to try to have access to an interpreter, um, is going to hurt your patients. And that's, that's just not the goal of, of becoming a healthcare professional. Exactly. Right. Well, well, awesome. Patrick, as we, as we wrap up here, I, I think this is a good start, hopefully to, the Spanish for pre-meds podcast or whatever the, the ultimate name is of this project. Um, what, what is kind of the a final takeaway for a student to, to really just get going in this world? Is it, is it go buy a book and start learning? Obviously there's this podcast that they can start listening to once we, once we get up and rolling. Is it go, go and download uh, an app that there seem to be a thousand of what, it, what is an easy way for a student to really start diving into this? Well, you know, I, I think, uh... First of all, you know, find find what you like, right? You know, I, I think there are a lot of you mentioned podcasts, right? There are a lot of and there's actually Radio Ambulante. This is a Daniel Daniel Alacon. He has a, a bilingual podcast on online. It's not necessarily sometimes there are some medical related episodes, but find something that you like. You know, if you're on a road trip, it's probably hard to listen, you know, to kind of follow a, a bilingual podcast, right? Or, or to read the the transcript, right? But uh, find something you like, you know, whether it be movies or, or news or, or um, something within popular culture, maybe that's something that's entertaining that you uh, find that you could uh, with maybe with the theme of medical uh, medicine, right, or, or disease and sickness, right? And um, I would just 
you know, find what you like and, and kind of listen. You know, if, if you need to use the subtitles, that way you can at least expose yourself to uh, daily interaction that's presented in, in that uh, that media. Or um, that's one one way, you know, find something that you like, something in, within popular culture, right, that's going to be entertaining uh, just to kind of expose yourself to the language and, and the sounds, right? Uh, another is, you know, when you are, studying let's say anatomy or if you're um in your experiences just have, find sources that are bilingual right um find things that are easily where you can easily access spanish um and also you know it's easier easier said than done especially if you live um if you live in a city, you, there's access to plenty of free clinics, especially that offer uh, interpreting services. So try to uh, volunteer at those places, right? This is a way to expose yourself, um, not only to other cultures, other people, but you know, to Spanish itself. So I think those are, um, you're only gonna learn through practice, right? There's several things, you know, as, an, as a medical interpreter, things that I would have never thought of um, if I hadn't, participated in, in the clinics, uh, you know, that, that I did, you know, I, I think that, um, just participating in those experiences or having those experiences helps you develop, um, kind of a base knowledge of, of Spanish, you know, um, I, I think that's, you know, with the end goal of thinking that, you know, eliminating fear, um, and for the patient, you know, I, I think if you have a base knowledge of Spanish, it really helps uh, improve uh, care and the quality of care. But I, I think that's, it, it's, it's a tough task. You know, I, I think it's something that you really have to commit to, but I, if you're just starting, you know, think about those, uh, find the opportunities, you know, find ways to, uh, to engage with that, with those uh, communities. Right. All right. There you have it again, Spanish for premeds.com sign up to be notified when this episode or when this podcast actually launches in in Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm so excited to bring you this project. It will likely be a book where you can learn. It will be the podcast. Obviously, we'll, we're going to do YouTube videos. It's going to be a full project to really help you understand Spanish, to, to give you some confidence and going and, and even just saying hello to a patient in their language and, and doing it appropriately and introducing who you are appropriately will help build that connection with your patients. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I am excited to bring you the Spanish for Premeds podcast or whatever the name will be in the future. Stay tuned again, SpanishForPremeds.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the Premed Years. This is MedEd Media.